Good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll chat with Manitoba Pork Chair George Matheson. Also, you'll hear my conversation with Grain Growers of Canada Executive Director Aaron Gowerluk. And up first in today's country comment, we'll have reaction from yesterday's amalgamation vote from Crop Connect. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 90 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon, you're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Five of Manitoba's commodity groups voted in favour of amalgamation this week at CropConnect in Winnipeg. The groups involved include the National Sunflower Association of Canada, Manitoba Wheat and Barley Growers, Manitoba Corn Growers, Manitoba Flax Growers and Winter Cereals Manitoba. I caught up with Doug Martin with Winter Cereals Manitoba. It's great news for our organization. Um, as a lot of people know, winter wheat acres keep declining every year, whether you know because of weather and just farmers got lots of options uh, on crops and wheat varieties to grow. So, our, our, uh, so to to keep the organization uh, going and uh, you know uh, it's, it's very good for our organization, sort of thing. You know, the, there's a lot of uh, still a lot of money going into winter wheat and to agronomy and plant breeding. Uh, and they're just hiring some new plant breeders in Manitoba at the, at the University of Manitoba. So, you know, there's a lot of money going to it. The acres are dropping. So it's, it's difficult for, for us as producers to, to, uh, to keep an organization going with less and less checkoff funds. So, so this, this gives us an opportunity to keep our organization going. And, and uh, you know, uh, winter wheat has value for a, lo- a lot of producers. It's just sometimes the weather does not cooperate and the market conditions don't uh, cooperate so so anyway it's it's very good news for our organization and uh, uh, you know I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that it's uh, it's passed that was Doug Martin with winter cereals Manitoba Eric Fridfinson with Manitoba flax growers was also pleased with the results I'm very pleased with how the how the vote went today we had uh, very strong support in all of the organizations. It would have been concerning if we'd had any that were uh, were close or where there was serious concerns. There was pretty good discussion at most of the meetings about the issues, and uh, overall, we 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 seem to we uh, we believe we have good support for the concept. N- now the job is going to be to move forward and uh, and integrate the organizations and start with the uh, with making our new structure uh, work the best way it can for Manitoba farmers. How critical was this uh, vote to pass you know for, for your organization um, going forward here? Well I think that for all of the small uh, commodity groups it was especially important because we just have been finding that we're spending too much of our resources just on administration and I think that the new organization has critical mass that we will be able to run a more efficient operation and provide better service for our members. That was Eric Fridfinson with the Manitoba Flax Growers. The group was one of five Manitoba commodity organizations that voted in favor of amalgamation this week at Crop Connect in Winnipeg. The new Manitoba Crop Alliance is set to become operational on August 1st. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Canute. Manitoba farmers have voted in favour of amalgamation. All five Manitoba commodity groups involved approved the special resolution presented at this week's special meetings. Fred Gregg is with the Manitoba Wheat and Barley Growers Association. 
I think over the five years we've been at it, I think we've ended up with a model, a governance model that is really going to best serve Manitoba producers. I think uh, the key to it also is trying to engage younger producers who maybe don't have as much time or the fear or want to develop their skill set to serve on boards. So, uh, you know, personally, I'm really excited about that. The other groups involved in the merger are the National Sunflower Association of Canada, Manitoba Corn Growers, Winter Cereals Manitoba, and Manitoba Flax Growers. The new Manitoba Crop Alliance is set to become operational on August 1st. Results from the first of three studies being conducted on cattle transportation are being released. The results will be used by the Canadian Food Inspection Agency to potentially amend long-haul cattle transport regulations. While the cattle sector has been given another two years to study the impact, new CFIA regulations go into effect February 20th, reducing the time animals can be in transport without a rest break from 48 down to 36 hours. Dr. Karen Schwartzkop Genswine with the Lethbridge Egg Canada Research Centre says the first study focusing on rest stops shows they had little to no effect on calves in good condition. And Manitoba Pork will be receiving funding from the federal government towards the development of a risk management strategy to help producers recover from potential disease outbreaks such as PED. The Pork Council will receive an investment of just over $482,000 towards the two-year project. If successful, the risk management strategy could expand to incorporate pork sectors in other provinces. That was a look at today's Farm News. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Friday, February 14th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, we'll chat with Grain Growers of Canada Executive Director Aaron Gowerlick. Grain Growers of Canada Executive Director Erin Garlick was a guest speaker this week at CropConnect in Winnipeg. She talked about the group's priorities heading into 2020. I think if I had to narrow it down to our top three priorities, consistently this won't come as any surprise, access to our key markets internationally. Um, but what we were talking about today, uh, carbon tax, especially in light of, now we know in the province of Manitoba, Corn growers are drying their corn, they're drying their grain every year. But I think the challenges that farmers are facing from across the country is giving us an opportunity to shine a light on, on, the, on the cost that the carbon tax uh, has on farmers, especially during challenging times like this. And then, of course, we'll continue the conversation around the need for improved business risk management programs. Just going back to the carbon tax, um, you mentioned how recently... Um there's been more progress than, than all of last year. You know, just talk about what's what's been happening lately. Yeah, it's been Green Crower's position on the carbon tax since early 2019 that we wanted to see a broader exemption on all fuel used on farm. But I think it was it was the challenging harvest that we had. There wasn't a single farmer or a single region across the country that was immune that I think allowed us to shine a light on the issue. And in so doing, now we've caught the attention of the Green Party, of the NDP, and of the Conservatives. And I think there's recognition to a certain extent from all three of those parties that something has to be done. In the upcoming week, I guess you'll be in Ottawa um, doing some lobbying there? It's our third annual Grain Week and this is a really exciting time because it means that we have farmer members from across the country coming to the nation's capital and lobbying policymakers. and there is nothing more effective in our view. I may live in Ottawa but I'm not nearly as effective having a meeting uh, if I don't have one of my farmer members with me. Final thoughts here today? Or? 
it's a fantastic conference and some, some, some good discussions. It's nice to be able to come to a provincial association like this, one of our members, and talk about some of the work that we're doing at the national level and spend a couple of days getting some feedback from farmers. Are we on the right track? Is there anything else we should be talking about with our uh, federal policymakers? That was Erin Gowerlich. She's the executive director with Grain Growers of Canada. Continuing on today's Prairie Eggwire, Glendalee Allen Vossler talks about the importance of crop rotations with John Ippolito, a crops extension specialist with Saskatchewan's Ministry of Agriculture. Why should producers look at extending the length of their rotations? We've always said the ideal was kind of a four-year rotation with two years of cereals interspersed with an oil seed and a pulse crop. That's always kind of been the ideal. What we've seen happen in recent history is, depending on which part of the province you're in, we've seen you know two to three-year rotations with pulse crops in some locations and and uh, you know very tight rotations with canola and cereals in other parts of the province and um, and what we're starting to see now is because of uh, disease issues um, with those tighter rotations uh, uh, growers are whether they like it or not are probably going to be forced to go into longer rotations uh, to try and manage the disease pressures in particular I guess the two diseases in particular we're talking about is clubroot and canola, where we're strongly recommending uh, a three-year rotation as a minimum. Four years is ideal between. Uh, so a four-year rotation means you know essentially three years between canola crops. Uh, so that's kind of what we're really recommending on the clubroot side. Um, the pulse crop root rots with aphanomyces as one of the pathogens in particular. Uh, uh, we're recommending even a much longer rotation. Uh, that one pathogen uh, seems to uh, not uh, or seems to persist uh, for long periods of time. So we're actually to the point in in fields where we know a phantomyces to be present. Uh, uh, we're now recommending uh, you know six years between pulse crops, maybe as long as eight in some locations. So it's really what we're recommending now is a response to uh, plant diseases in particular. And when we are talking about extending these rotations, does some of the agronomic management that goes along with that change? I guess there's a whole bunch of factors that come into planting a crop rotation. So we have to, you know, start paying more attention to things like residual herbicides. Um, every plant's kind of got its own water use characteristics. Some of them root deep, some of them root shallow. So we want to try and, in addition to mixing up crops, we want to try and mix up the crops uh, to take advantage of that change in rooting pattern. Uh, of course, pulses, one of the reasons we grow them is for nitrogen fixation. So you know, we're kind of having to give some of that up if we have to go to a six-year rotation. And, you know, and in some cases, well, it's interesting. It's an ideal situation, but very few producers have the ability to take care of it, is that if we could do something like perennial forages for like half of the rotation. So, you know, if we had perennial forages like grass and alfalfa for three years out of a six-year rotation, uh that actually not only helps on the disease front, but it also helps uh, 
in terms of some of the weed control issues as well, because you know uh, annual weeds don't do well in a perennial forage. So if we can, uh, uh, but like I said, the big problem we have there is most uh, most grain producers in a in a large part of the province uh, uh, don't have a you know a ready market or use for that forage. So it makes it really difficult if you take half of the farm and put it into forages for three years at a time. So. Final thoughts when it comes to extending the length of our crop rotations? There is no recipe that's going to work for everybody. So guys are going to have to look at their own land base, their own you know operation or neighboring operation, even you know which part of the uh, province they farm in to figure out what's a rotation that'll work for me. You know, as an example, when we talk about, uh, you know, the six-year crop rotations uh, because of pulse crop root rots, the pulse crop root rot we're talking about really only applies to peas and lentils. So fava beans, soybeans, chickpeas have a place in that rotation and as long as we can keep the peas and lentils, you know, five to six years apart. Uh, but, of course, if you look at those other three pulse crops, fava beans and soybeans, need a lot of water, chickpeas is probably almost on the other end of the spectrum. So the big take-homes, I guess, in terms of planning these crop rotations is there's a whole bunch of, you know, geographic location, land type, all of that stuff that has to come into the discussion. And and unfortunately, there won't be, you know, one recipe that this will work for everybody. I've been talking with John Ippolito. John is a crops extension specialist with the Ministry of Agriculture. For Golden West, I'm Glendalee Allen Vossler. Thanks, Glendalee. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email to the farm desk at goldenwestradio.com. On behalf of Glendalee Allen Vossler, I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Prairie Eggwire will return next week on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. February 20th is Steinbach Crop Day taking place at the Pat Porter Active Living Centre. The admission is $10 and that includes lunch. And Marmac Farms is hosting a bull sale starting at 1.30 on March 11th. You can go to marmacfarms.net for more information. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Coming up in the next half hour, we'll chat with Manitoba Pork Chair George Matheson. We'll also have another look at our farm news for today. Right now, it's 1 o'clock. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Friday afternoon, Manitoba Pork will be receiving funding from the federal government towards the development of a risk management strategy to help producers recover from potential disease outbreaks. The Port Council will receive an investment of just over $482,000 towards the two-year project. I got the details from Manitoba Pork Chair George Matheson. We're very pleased that the federal government uh, gave us, uh, it came to $482,000 to study an insurance product uh, or develop an insurance product for uh, hog producers uh, in the case of uh, animal loss. And, uh, you know, it's uh, something I, I would, uh, 10 years ago I would have said, uh, I don't think we need it, but now, with, uh, especially with the higher prevalence of PED, which can be devastating to farms, uh, I think it's something that uh, if the premium is right for the amount of coverage a producer gets, I think uh, producers will be very interested in it. So this money, um, just over 480000 over two years, um, mm-hmm. 
Can you talk a bit about how that'll be used? Is it is it uh, I guess towards uh, the development of this plan? Or yeah, and I'm not uh, well, definitely not an insurance expert, but uh, yes, uh, insurance of course uh, can be complex, so uh, it'll be invested in the development of uh, an insurance product. Uh, you know, I'm assuming to study. Uh, um, the amount of risk and how much uh, premium needs to be paid to uh, cover that kind of risk and uh, what kind of risks, uh, you know, can be covered uh, by this program. The money that would flow then from the program, um, can you talk a bit about how that would be used? Let's say once the insurance uh, product was uh, was in place, uh, number one, uh, I would hope uh, that it would insure for a loss of animals and uh, perhaps as well because, uh, you know, the, the, in most cases, the, the barn would have to be entirely uh, emptied. And as you said, clean and disinfected, that clean and disinfected, that uh, would require a fair bit of funds. And I hope uh, that the coverage would uh, cover those expenses as well. This is something that's been done in the, in the poultry sector previously? Well, yeah, and I'm, uh, that would be about the only other commodity sector in regards to livestock and uh, poultry that uh, uh, would have had uh, an, an, an animal insurance product uh, for it. And I'm not overly familiar how theirs, theirs work, but really, you know, uh, crop insurance has, has had something like this for years. You, know, you lose a crop and uh, it's very expensive, of course, to grow, and you have coverage for it. So this is relatively new to uh, animal uh, animal uh, livestock industries. So, uh, you know, uh, it's very much in the beginning stages. And you, you mentioned, you know, uh, PED, I guess. Would this also be aimed towards if a potential case of um, African swine fever would That's hit here? That's right. It could uh, cover uh, losses from uh, any virus. Uh, or any uh, other, uh, you know, uh, medical hazard. Uh, it, it would it, the biggest uh, concern for, let's say, an, uh, an infection of ASF would be because uh, international rules would uh, determine that our, our borders would be closed and uh, we export seventy percent of our product. That was, is where really you'd see the greatest losses because you'd be unable to uh, sell an animal. But uh, it would also, for those farms, and I don't think there'd be a lot of them directly affected by ASF, you know, pigs died because of African swine fever, uh, a product like this would uh, definitely cover that as well. Any other issues that you discussed with the with the Ag Minister while she was in town? Or? Um, we discussed uh, as much as anything uh, financial assistance in case there was a, a, a case of African swine fever in the country which uh, I just mentioned would uh, stop exports and considering how much uh, we export, it would be absolutely uh, devastating to the to the pork sector. So uh, that was uh, a very lengthy discussion prior to uh, the announcement uh, being made public yesterday. And uh, something that weighs heavily on our minds, we hope, of course, African swine fever never... Uh, Never enters the country, but we have to be prepared because uh, there would be uh, chaos uh, right at day one, and we're going to try and make the situation less chaotic uh, by being uh, well prepared for it. All right, and uh, your AGM coming up uh, next month as well? March 25th, yep. a couple of weeks earlier this uh, year, and uh, we have uh, representatives from the pork industry from right across uh, North America, and uh, uh, we look forward to it. That was George Matheson, chair with the Manitoba Pork Council.
The group will be receiving from the federal government towards the development of a risk management strategy to help producers recover from potential disease outbreaks. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada research scientists are working on studies relating to the CFIA's proposed changes to long-haul cattle transportation. While there's a two-year exemption for the cattle sector, new CFIA regulations go into effect February 20th. That would see the maximum time for animals in transport to go without a rest break reduced from 48 down to 36 hours. Dr. Karen Schwartzkopf-Genswein with the Lethbridge Egg Canada Research Centre says the first study focusing on rest stops shows they had little to no effect on calves in good condition. She says management of cattle before they're transported is important. The message is that conditioned calves are better able to cope with stressors of transport and I think that's a really big consideration when we're looking at all of these factors. The type of animals and how they're managed is hugely important to that. A final report on the second study will be available in early 2021. And the results are in. This week, five Manitoba commodity organizations voted in favor of amalgamation. Doug Martin is with Winter Cereals Manitoba. It's great news for our organization. Um, a lot of people know winter wheat acres keep declining every year, whether you know because of weather and just farmers got lots of options uh, on crops and wheat varieties to grow. So, our, our, uh, so to to keep the organization going and uh, it's, it's very good for our organization. The other groups involved in the merger are the National Sunflower Association of Canada, Manitoba Corn Growers, Manitoba Wheat and Barley Growers, and the Manitoba Flax Growers. The new Manitoba Crop Alliance is set to become operational on August 1st. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email thefarmdesk at goldenwestradio.com. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here on Monday starting at 12 noon.